Paceline is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Is it fitting Does yours? it, though? Does it, though? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is. I, um, I'm dealing with an injury at the moment, but... Opportunity wise, I there is time and space for cycling. Uh, the weather here is awful. It's 40 <laughs> and raining. Oh, you um, mean spring? <laughs> for New England. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it has not been awesome, but whatever. You know, <laughs> right. the, as the world turns, these are the days of our lives. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you could be in a gulag, right? There are there are alternatives. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Maybe I just need to get myself uh, G'd up in the rain gear and get out pedal. You know, I was observing to someone just yesterday that uh, when I spend time in Seattle, uh, I don't have any problem putting on the, the various bits of rain gear and going out and you know, riding on a bike path or going mountain biking or whatever things there drain better. And one is not concerned about trail damage, uh, or path damage or whatever. Um, and you know, here it rains and like, there's just this unconscious immediate association. Oh, it's raining. I guess that's a road ride. Um, and you know, sometimes mood wise, that's just not the place I'm in. And that's problematic. It is. It is. Uh, it's easier to change your mood than the weather, though. Wow. OK, so we're starting off with some truth bombs, are we? Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you right now. You know, I went through this uh, thing just recently where I did a. I did a race and then I did a running thing and I had poured a bunch of energy into being ready for those things. And now out the backside, I'm a little injured and the weather is bad. And so I need to like, I need to change my own mood. So I'm mm. speaking to you, uh huh. but I'm speaking to me. It, I mean, you know, at a certain level, we as human beings do an awful lot of that. We'll say something to someone else. Uh, thinking that we're being clever and speaking in some universal fashion when really all we're doing is trying to admonish ourselves. I think it's true. I yeah. think it's true. I, I, and I remember, I remember a bunch of years ago, uh, maybe 20 of them. Mm. Uh, I, I pulled up, it was, um, it was late fall and it was 40. I think it was 40. Okay. And I pulled up at a light and I'm in shorts and a t-shirt. 
And an old timer looked at me and he said, it's a little cold to be dressed like that. Mm. And he was all, he had all the clothing on. And I said, (laughs) I said to him, my experience is that you got to get it on you as early in the season as you can. And then you'll just be all right. And then he got all (laughs) sniffy with me and he was like, I've been doing this long enough. I think I know how to do it. And I was like, oh, all right. I didn't realize we were having an argument. I was just telling you what I, how I do what I do. Uh, And then I dropped him like a bad habit when the light turned green. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, I'm not petty. (laughs) Yeah. You know, at this point in my life, I find more and more that I'm choosing my words carefully, not in order to get at the meaning uh, of what I'm thinking most directly, but because I'm aware that almost anything you say can be taken sideways. Yeah. Yeah, that is absolutely right. Um, And here we are, two guys busy recording a podcast. That's right. Okay. I mean, the general approach is say less, Uh, (laughs) just say less, except we're about to say a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you lead us out then as we do? All right. Well, one of the things I discover over and over again uh, is that my time in the bike industry clouds my vision of what bike riders out in the world think, know and feel. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So much of my energy has been expended on sales and marketing communications Uh that focus on new products, new technologies, new stuff Mm -hmm. that I too often forget that most people ride old stuff and like it just fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing I forget is that most riders are not bike literate, by which I mean when they look at a bike, they don't even know what they're seeing. Well, they think they do, but they're not they're not looking with your eyes. Yeah, that's yeah. And I don't mean I, well, I'll get into that in a second. <laughs> okay. So take, for example, something as simple as a seat stay. Mm-hmm. If you're bike literate, you look at a bike seat stays and you glean things about how that bike will feel under its rider. Mm-hmm. Straight aluminum stays are going to transmit a lot of road noise and force into the saddle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The same is true with older carbon fiber seat stays, uh, some of which incorporated elastomers and other workarounds to try to kind of dissipate that force Mm -hmm. before it reaches the rider's rear. Yep. Steel or titanium S-bend stays will give a cushier rod. Truth. None of these assessments, by the way, are universal because seat stays don't do what they do in isolation. I'm just trying to give a dead simple example of what you might see when you look at a bike beyond its overall shape, what some people call its stance, cool people, mm. cool people cooler than me, mm. uh, and its paint job. And I think a lot of people, when they look at a bike, they see sort of the stance of the bike and the paint job, and they think cool or not cool, fast or not fast. Um marketing in our industry can be painful it's often painful 
because so many companies are trying to do fairly nuanced things with their bike designs, Mm -hmm. but their customers lack the bike literacy to see them. And so you get marketing copy that is overly technical or resorts to commonly accepted buzzwords, vertically compliant. I've probably (laughs) written a lot of this copy myself. Um, Mm -hmm. And 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 I think it probably makes the problem worse. Mm. Mm. So so it's a it's like trying to explain a, a complicated Cantonese entree to someone in your second language. You know, you might uh-huh. say, oh, sp- um, spicy, uh, texturally challenging, um, <laughs> pre- presented l- like uh, a tradition from the 15th century. <laughs> so, you know, your your words aren't sufficient to the task because there's not a shared language. So you have these b- bike nerds like me trying to get across to you something that requires you to be able to see even see, uh, say, an S-Bend seat stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of translating involved. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe I'm seeing this wrong. Maybe all a bike rider needs to know about a bike is how it feels while they're pedaling it. Uh, I kind of like that idea, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but increasingly, folks seem willing to make bike buying decisions based on photos and marketing copy. And I, I despair <laughs> a bit. Um, I'll be honest with you. It's far too late for that now, but I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not sure what I'm advocating for here. On the one hand, I wish bike enthusiasts would spend a little more energy understanding how bikes actually work. It's a simple machine in a lot of ways, but that simplicity, simplicity rather masks a complicated system of interrelated parts. On the other hand, I'm against gatekeeping, right? A lack of expertise, no matter who defines what expertise is, shouldn't it all be a barrier to enjoying a bike ride? Yeah. People like me, people like me should be better at communicating what's important about a bike. Mm -hmm. And I suspect on some level, even we wonder whether all these little nuances that we're always talking about make much difference. Mm -hmm. Because even a bad bike is a pretty great bike. Um, well, I'm fond of saying that any bike is better than no bike. So I, I am unable to disagree with you on that point. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I mean, you raise a really interesting question and it's something that I have certainly given thought to lots of thought to where, where to begin. Um, you know, Back to your uh, one of your primary points is that, you know, gatekeeping, not great. Uh, And no one needs to know much about a bike to have a good time. Um, I don't ever want to work in violation of that fundamental truth because, you know, it's uh, as self-evident things go. It's true. You know, you get on a bike, you have a good time. Um, And we shouldn't ever be telling people that because they're on bike X, they're not having a good time. They know that we're full of it. If we say that, um, and if we say that we are full of all, all the it, uh, right. Uh, you know, on the other hand, 
when you're with a company that brings out a new product, um, you're charged with not just saying what the product is. Part of your charge is to make people excited about the thing. And that's where I think the common mistake comes in the bike industry is confusing excitement with uh, or, or overstepping the excitement and veering into the territory of you can't live without this. Clearly, <laughs> we can live without whatever the, the you know, widget is, whatever, you know, the Gonculator 3000. Apologies to Hogan's right. Heroes. Um, <clears throat> consternation ensues. Um, it, you know, well, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift gears here slightly. Uh, twice in the last uh, six or eight months, I've written about uh, new bikes coming out from Specialized. And initially, when they announced these things, these days often, Specialized doesn't give you a lot more than poetry. Um, the copy is well-written, um, and it's inspirational and aspirational in tone. Um, yep. And it, uh, to your point, it speaks to experience. It does not speak to anything technical by or large. Uh, and, you know, for somebody who then needs to write something reasonably technical in response to that, to tell their readership about it, i.e. my job, um, you're left going, okay, that's nice, but what do we really know about this product? Uh, and so I'm, I'm left like studying photographs, uh, which I'm not bad at. And that kind of goes to your bike literacy thing. You know, when I, what, going back to the 1980s, you know, I would look at a bike and I would see, you know, a front railer, a rear railer, a frame, uh, you know, I might count the chain rings. I would look at what sort of brakes they were. Were they side pull calipers or were they cantilevers? You know, I would look at things like that. Did it have arrow levers or were there these huge loops of cable housing moving around? And that was my level of literacy. You know, it was like, you know, the third grader of bikes. Um, you and I. I think that's the eighth grader, but go on. Okay. Okay. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, these days, you and I, having worked in the industry, we look at a bike and we start connecting dots. You know, we're, we're looking at, well, how big is that aluminum seat state? Well, you know, compared to some of the stuff I've seen, it's pretty small. It's probably not as unpleasant as some of the other bikes have ridden in the past. Mm. I mean, come on, that's, that's like bike nerd, you know, graduate seminar stuff. Um, uh, mm. does anyone need that level of knowledge? No, the real breakdown is how we translate from our language to everyone else's. You want to tell somebody something true about a bike and it's nice to get people excited about neat stuff. Um, but balancing that between that and like, you've got a bike that works really well, have fun. You know, I'm. Well, what you just said, uh, I think, is important. You said what you are going to say about the bike needs to be true. Yeah. Yeah. Here's 
and I think I don't think anyone is like, well, nope, you're wrong there. But and this is where I get tripped up is a lot of times you can say something that's true about a bike. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, say, for example, the down tube is an eighth of an inch uh, wider mm-hmm. diameter mm-hmm. than its predecessor. Yep. You can say this bike as a result, this bike is going to be that tube is stiffer. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm giving. Yeah, we're doing a. We're doing yep. just a dead. We're just trying to be simple. Yep. So you you can even quantify it like that tube is, um, you know, like probably sixty percent stiffer than the one the 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 prior iteration. Yep. That's true. Uh huh. What does it mean about the experience of riding the bike? So now you've said something true, but have you said something helpful? And I think very, very often uh, when we talk about bikes and bike products, we say things that are true. We get into the millimeters and we get into the, you know, drag coefficients and we get into these things that are technically speaking, quantifiably true. Yep. But are they helpful? Well, now we get into something that I've written about in the past. Um I wrote a long, long piece about this some years back for the Radivist, and then John never paid me. Separate matter. Uh, I hope that wasn't snarky, uh, but I don't mind being on record about that. So there's this thing called the threshold of perception. And uh, in psychology, that's used to denote how much something has to change before you go, yep. oh, that's different. Uh, yep. So a decibel. A decibel is the least amount that volume can change where people will still notice that a sound is either louder or quieter. One decibel. That's your threshold of perception for volume. Well, you know, we'll see these graphs put in bike companies, you know, marketing materials for a new bike. It's now 15% stiffer. Well, that might not be a big enough change for actually, for us to actually tell if there's a difference. Um, <laughs> That's the real it issue. May not, it may not reach the threshold of perception, and it also might not reach the threshold. Even if it does reach the thresh, threshold of perception, um, Aldous Huxley. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, everyone. Um, even if it reaches the threshold of perception for many people, for many people, it won't. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a degree here of like, what is your palate? Can you taste these flavor notes? Do you even care that there are flavor notes? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yep. And and uh, having just said Aldous Huxley, I'm now going to quote, I think, Friedrich Nietzsche, who said, I think it was Nietzsche, who said, uh, I did my degree a long time ago. Uh, Language makes common that which is uncommon. And the, I think you're right the, ex- the experience of riding a bicycle it's an uncommon experience. It's also to a certain degree ineffable, you know, that's what I mean. Right. So the words that you use to get from this, from like, Oh, fun. The words that you use to get from, um, you know, a chain stay that is, uh, five millimeters longer, (laughs) the gap between those two things, there are no words that can fill it adequately. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, to that point, you know, boiling this down into something useful. So when I was working in retail, the thing I would do before sending somebody out on a test ride is I would tell them, look, I'm going to send you out on three bikes for test rides. You know, we're going to start with the least expensive one in this set, and then we're going to go up in price point. And the bike where you can't tell the difference between it and the previous bike, you're going to buy the less expensive bike. Because if you can't, if you, if your sense of that bike doesn't pick up any of the improvement in quality, there's no point in spending that money. But if you go from one bike to another and that more expensive bike results in an experience where you go, wow, that was more fun. That's the bike you should buy because the bike that's more fun is the bike you're going to ride more often. You're going to get excited about going out on that bike. And to me, that's, that's the point of buying a new bike is having an experience that is more fun. I'm on this spinning hunk of rock once that I know of, you know, I get this one, I get this one shot at this wildlife. Um, I want to do what I can with it. I want to, I want to love fiercely. I, you know, I, I want to taste great wines. I want to eat great foods. I don't need to do it every night. I feel like I should be crocheting pillows over here. Go on. Well, but it comes back to, you know, years and years ago, I discovered cycling and man, that made my whole world go technicolor. It was You know, in my young life, getting on a bike and riding it and balancing and swooping into turns and whatnot, my recollection of my young life, that was the coolest thing that had happened so far. And to this day, it remains one of the finest things in my life. Uh, And I'm not always sure why, but I'm trained as a poet and my charge as someone who writes about cycling is to try to translate the ineffable yeah. into the yeah. we're not going to say affable <laughs> <laughs> well i have tried this uh in the dictionary affable isn't a word <laughs> we're, no matter how people are using it out there in the world moving right along uh um, yeah but yeah so uh the I get that there is this resistance on the part of people who love bikes to feel like their arm is being twisted into buying something new just because it's the new thing. Um, and I, I understand that resistance. And I think sometimes people see it in quarters where it doesn't actually exist. Uh, certainly it has been applied to bike companies where I don't think it's present. And the thing that I always come back to is, you know, you've got this employer that's given you this job and charged you with this mission of making the best thing that you can make, be it a helmet, a bike frame, a rear derailleur. Your job is to make the best one anybody's made so far. What a wonderful opportunity in your career. What a lovely thing to be entrusted with such a mission. That's really cool. Does anybody need to go out and buy it afterwards? Well, some people need to in order to continue to justify the company. Does everybody need to? No, not remotely. No, and I think this is a good point because a lot of people are like, the industry is just trying to jam this stuff down my throat. No, the industry is working very hard at making better stuff. And if you need it, great. They would love to put it in front of you so you could consider it. 
But no one is jamming anything down your throat. You know, no one's dragging you into bi- a bike shop and... Yeah, it's not uh, like the uh, the the far side cartoon of the, the lady in front of the candy store and it's like vacuuming her into... That doesn't happen yeah. in real life. No, no. Um, and, and I think if you, uh, if you have stuff that you like and you're very happy with it, I mean, ride the lightning. Yeah. 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 Please. And thank you. Uh, yeah. and so if we've done nothing else, hopefully people are reassured that, uh, we trust that they know how to have a good time. I, I bet they do. I do. I trust them. I I don't always trust me, but I trust them. (laughs) Okay. We're going to take a break and we will be back uh, soon enough. The Paceline is underwritten by Shimano North America. That means they help us pay for software and hosting and the M&Ms in our dressing rooms. Shimano are also nice enough to let us talk about them in our own voices and from our own experiences. For example, I did a lot of research on Shimano road wheels when I was putting together complete bike packages when I was at 7 Cycles. We turn to Shimano wheels because they're rock solid, affordable, and readily available. The wheel market is full of fantastic options. Shimano's wheels often fly under the radar. You should really check them out. They have killer carbon fiber wheels at the 105 level now, the C32 and C46, and of course, if you're shooting for the stars, you can get the C36 and C50 at Altegra and Dura Ace levels. See them all at road.shimano.com. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line the podcast on two wheels. What are you yabbering about today? <laughs> so you're injured. Um, I'm coming up on my opportunity to be injured. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've got the first. You mean in- you're getting out of bed? I'm not that old. (laughs) Uh, I've got the first event since the pandemic started in 2020 in which I'll actually push myself. And it's this coming weekend. It's the eight hours of box, which is the same format as the eight hours of Wente race that I've done several times previously. And I've talked about here. (sighs) This would be where I admit that while this may not be a fool's errand, it's almost certainly a fool's stunt. Mm. Uh, John, you and I have been working together for what, like 14 years now? Yeah, I mean, it was approximately one, approximately one lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> you know me pretty well. That's my point yeah. here, right? Yep. Yep. So with that acknowledged, I'm going to preface this next question for you with a caveat. I'm not fishing for a compliment or praise here. I want your honest perspective. No danger. Go on. (laughs) Have I ever shown any shyness about sharing the personal in my writing? Um, Not that I'm aware of. Uh, I tend not to refer to myself as fearless, but I've gone the places. You, I mean, you have shared things that made me go, ooh, really? Okay. So, (laughs) yeah, that's a willingness. Hooray. Hooray. Um, Well, So I ask this because I've discovered in the last, I don't know, six months or so, maybe a little longer, a real reticence to discuss either my fitness and day-to-day training or my romantic life. Uh, 
I've concluded that maybe after writing about the demise of your marriage, you lose your stomach for writing about relationships. Maybe I buy it. Um, I don't know. Uh, but because I've, you know, the, my mission as I've defined it for myself is to take cycling and run with it in as many different directions as I see it running. So yeah, it, yeah, it has gone some places. Anyway, I don't like admitting that because of a combination of factors, those factors being a pandemic, a very painful breakup, and then an extraordinary amount of travel. I am heavy for me, uh, lacking in strength, also uh, shy on aerobic fitness. But I can say that I'm more fit than I've been in a while. Um, all this is to say, my plan is to go out and shoot for riding four laps of the course. It's a little shy of eight miles. Uh, it's, uh, well, it's 7.85 miles per lap. And it climbs a little bit more than 1,100 feet per lap. <laughs> now I'm coming up to the real confession. Um, all that was prelude. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to start um, uh, firing off opinions. So you go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So back when I was racing, you know, and, and actually, you know, very committed to my fitness, I was doing big miles and showing up at events and treating them as tests to stretch my abilities. I now find myself in a situation much more like most people who, you know, are enthusiastic cyclists, but not racer guy fit, uh, where I'm needing to use an uh, event as a carrot to help drive my training to get in better shape. And mm, honestly, I'm using this event as a stepping stone to Wente, which is a month out at this point. So what I'm really working around to is expressing my empathy for others who have struggled to find the time and drive to get into better condition. I'm feeling that more acutely than at any other point in my life. Uh, the number of things that I have that can cause me to conclude, oh, today's another OBE overtaken by events um, where, OK, we're not getting on the bike today. Um, yeah. OK. I. Am not a doctor, but you play one. On TV. I think that I can diagnose you with a pretty straightforward case of imposter syndrome. <laughs> I thought we had settled that like decades ago when I was in graduate school. Um, well, no, I mean, I, what I think is that you know what it is to be very high level bike fit. Mm hmm. And and I see this I see this kind of across cycling uh, where people who have the mania, as we do, they get locked in. Right. And they're like, well, I ride, you know, eight centuries a year or I do this or I do like these are the things that I do. Mm -hmm. And it, a lot of times I think they're not really clear why they still do them. They do them because they do them. Like they're not enjoying them as much as they used to, or, you know, like people plow a furrow uh, mm -hmm. and they just mm -hmm. keep going and going and going. 
And sometimes you got to step back. Sometimes life, sometimes there are things. Uh, everyone put earmuffs on for a minute because I'm about to say that sometimes <laughs> in life, riding bikes isn't the most important thing for you to do. <laughs> you know? Uh huh. Uh huh. Maybe you got to tend to making a living or uh, making a relationship or what, you know, all of those things that make an actual life. And so, but when you, when you have been through long periods where you have enslaved yourself to the machine, when you have been in, have you, you've been all the way in, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, then when you're just living like a normal civilian, suddenly you're like, I can't even talk about what I am anymore because I'm not what I used to be. It, yeah, it's, it, mm -hmm, yeah, um, yeah, at a certain level. Uh, it's not so much imposter syndrome, but it's like, because I haven't, you know, published poetry in a high, highfalutin poetry journal in some time, it's, I feel as if my MFA was taken away. You know, I've lost my bona fides. Yeah. And that's just garbage. Um, uh, I, 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 that's nice to hear. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, it is like we're we're both uh, on the wrong side of 50. If there is a right side and a wrong side, we're both on the wrong side of it. And uh, the the bummer about that is that, you know, you lose top end speed and you lose maximum heart rate every year, et cetera, et cetera. You've all read the books. Uh, <laughs> but. It, that doesn't invalidate your experience. And um, a thing that I miss often um, is that the decades of experience really do count and they really are valuable. And so none of this invalidates our ability to talk about exactly where we are. In fact, I think, you know, for someone like you who has done so much in the sport to be able to say, okay, now I'm the guy who is just going to ride this thing to complete it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that has tremendous value for people to hear. I, I hope so. I hope so. You know, I, I, I mean, coming at something with humility is certainly the what I would like m my default to be. Uh, but I recognize that you you lose the ability to play that card if, you know, your your previous six months of training have been characterized by 15 to 18 hours a week on the bike. Mm. Uh, and I haven't I haven't been at risk of that for a while now. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but it, yeah, I, um, and you know, this coming weekend's really interesting because it's not like a century where it's like, okay, well, somehow I'm going to gut it out and do the full hundred or the night before you decide, you know, I'm just going to do the metric. Um, this is, you know, uh, plan your own fun to a certain degree. Yeah. The course is selected, but it's up to everybody out there, whether they do one lap, two laps, whatever. Uh, and so, you know, it would be easy for me to go out there and do two laps and just call it a day. And uh, I would get heckled no matter how many laps I did. My friends are are good and trustworthy. They, they will give me a raft of um, effluent, this being a family program and all, um, 
I'll get heckled no matter what I do that day. And I am grateful for that. Um, the internal heckling will vastly drop if I can do four laps. And if over nine hours I can gut out a fifth lap, I'd really kind of like that. That would that would make me feel very encouraged. I think you're I think this is a bad setup. OK, I'm I'm famous for those. So please continue. Because in your mind, you've already created a minimum. In your mind, you've already said, I've got to do this to feel legitimate. And I think, I mean, I have every faith that you'll do five laps. I do. Um, but it doesn't matter. I, I'll say that, you know, what I have faith in is the, the sense enough to be the guy climbing Everest and get to the Hillary step and it's four o'clock in the afternoon and the guide says we should turn around this won't end well if we continue um you know I'm the guy who if I'm you know completely spent and shaky and my left knee hurts when I get to the end of four laps I'll go sit down and have a beer um I what I pride myself on or want to pride myself on more than anything is being a reasonable individual Says the guy with chronic depression who, you know, uh, takes ketamine uh, in order to alleviate that uh, and not beat up on himself quite the way he used to. Yeah, I think you're doing great. Uh, I think the hardest thing you're going to do at Boggs is show up. And everything that comes after is gravy. Um, and, and we all look forward to hearing about it later. <laughs> I suspect there will be one or two things to share next week. Uh, Hope so. As I'm fond of saying, we will know more soon. <laughs> uh, and with that, we're going to move on to the paceline picks. Uh, what do you what are you loving on this week? Um, so this time of year, I'm pretty frequently turning to a hydration pack for long mountain bike adventures. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't use them very much in the wintertime because I just I don't you know, I'm not as sweaty and I'm not going as far. Um, unlike standard water bottles that are fairly straightforward to clean and dry via dishwasher or sink and drying rack, hydration bladders can be a bit more challenging to maintain. I'd be lying if I told you I hadn't birthed some unintentional chemistry projects through some basic laziness and the challenges of cleaning and drying what is really just a high-tech plastic shopping bag. <laughs> so this week, I'm picking the Bone Dry Hydration Bladder Dryer. That's Bone Dry, B-O-N. They put a little line over the O to make oh, like the vowel phonics. sound. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's the long vowel, Bone Dry. Um, it's basically a highly absorptive plant-based strip. You slip into the bladder, you let it sit for a short while and pull it out again. Uh, it basically pulls all the moisture out of the bladder, uh, and then you leave it out and it air dries. Uh, I have two that I keep in pretty regular rotation, uh, and it's a good way for me not to feel like, oh, is that dry enough to put away? Mm. Um, these things are twenty four ninety nine. I think you get a two pack. Check me on that. 
but they're $24.99. They're actually on sale from the manufacturer, which is fossiloutdoors.com. Uh, they're on sale for $19.99 right now. Um, they are made in the USA. Uh, they make an array of dryers for all sorts of vessels. So check them out. But I use these things all the time. It's one of those things. Sometimes when I get to a paceline pick, I'm like, yeah, but what do I actually use? What is really useful? And this mm-hmm. is a thing that I, I it's so useful. I never think about it. It's just part of my life. That that is a really fine recommendation, then. Uh, not that I'm passing judgment, but uh, yeah, that is a mm-hmm, that really qualifies it as something that uh, is worthy of being on the show. Yeah. I think so. Groovy. And I think as these dryers go, like you can buy the plastic ones that kind of hold the bladder open so that it can air dry properly. I don't find them useful. Like this one works mm-hmm. just as you think. It's very predictable. Uh, yeah. Lights out. Problem solved. <laughs> Funny how in some circumstances predictable is really a very fine uh, uh, recommendation. I value predictability quite a bit. <laughs> Don't I'm going to create the unpredictable part myself. So if the rest of the parts can be predictable, that's best. Do you, what do you got? Do you, well, I, w- oh. I just want to ask one other question here. Um, yeah. Are you prone to putting mix in your bladders? I do. Okay. I okay. do. I put mix in the bladder. Uh, so then when I clean it, I drop, some dish soap in some warm water. I slosh it. I run it through the, the hose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shake it out. Then I put one of these, uh, bone dry strips in it. And probably an hour later, I put it away. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Groovy. Cool. Well, my pick is the new reflex fixed ratchet kit from feedback sports. Now, Feedback Sports is best known for producing tools largely for home and shop use. Uh, This is actually their first kind of, you know, go along with the bike tool ever. I love their stuff. So when I heard about their first set of tools for on the bike use, I was kind of automatically intrigued. Um, Okay, so here's what it is. First of all, it comes with a small zippered folding case that measures just nine and a half centimeters by eight centimeters and roughly thick three centimeters at its thickest or about three and three quarters inches by three inches and just more than an inch thick. Uh, inside there are two small mesh pockets. Everything in there is small, uh, <laughs> uh, to hold everything. Uh, and well, the, everything is considerable. There's a small ratcheting handle. We're talking seven and a half centimeters long. And then two sockets that plug into it, uh, one fixed and one that is a five Newton meter torque socket. For bits, it has two, two and a half, three, four, five, and six millimeter Allen keys, plus T10, 25, and 30 Torx heads, and an SL3 screwdriver bit, which is a very small uh, flat blade screwdriver. There's room enough in the case that I am likely to add a couple more bits like a Phillips head and an eight millimeter. Um, the ratchet handle has three different socket fittings on the handle itself. Uh, 
So two fixed in addition to the ratcheting one uh, in case the angle of attack is kind of off. Uh, it's going to go for $70. I say going because it's not actually on sale yet, even though I already have one. I got it at <laughs> Sea Otter. Um, feedback is collecting names and emails for once it is in stock so that they can notify people. Dude, given all the other uh, on the bike toolkits I've ever reviewed over the years and, you know, the often questionable cases or other dispensing devices that they've come in. This thing, even without having used it much, is my favorite. It's hey. it is a noticeable improvement over many others. So often, like they come in little plastic folding cases and all it takes is one push of a tube too hard to make the, the case crack. Um, this case looks pretty dang durable, um, and yet it's small enough to fit in almost anything. I mean, it's it's smaller than my wallet. Um, you know, so it's it's uh, yeah, it's going to fit in seat bags, even the very small ones that won't hold much more than a tube. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also a seat bag strap that could be passed through uh, in case someone doesn't actually have room for it in the bag. So it can just piggyback, even though it's probably be below. But yeah, it can be attached to a seat bag. Um, I will, of course, follow up at some point in the future once I've had a chance to drip sweat on it for a few months um, and find out just how stainless that stainless steel is. Um, my my previous favorite uh, multi-tool device, that stainless steel was not very stainless at all. Um, oh. Yeah. I think given the amount I sweat, I could have a job doing like quality control for uh, this sort of stuff. Like we're just looking for a heavy sweater to tell us if this is, you know, going to work or not. Yeah. Normally I go for cotton, but you know, yeah, you are a heavy sweater. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was poor. It was. Poor. It was. It was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I am chastened now. Um, and uh, our entire audience is groaning. Well, I would say that that's a wrap on another episode of the Pace Line. Uh, Thank goodness. <laughs> guilty as charged. Uh, is there anything you can think of offhand that we ought to be alerting people to? We should actually write this into a script so that we know that we're going to say, hey, we've got this awesome thing. But there was my piece uh earlier this week about riding with dennis christopher aka dave stoller that uh people have really enjoyed uh yeah yeah the appetite for breaking away related um essaydom uh, is much larger than we imagined uh, that piece uh did very well we had a piece about the rivendell garage sale uh that was very popular yep uh, for those of you who are just listeners, I don't know, check out the site every now and then. Reading reading is fundamental, I've heard. Yeah. And this would be where we ask you to subscribe. If you have not already, um, do us a solid. Click that button. Send us questions. We love answering questions. So if you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put one in our comments. Uh, you can also or, just or email us if you yeah. don't want to put it in the comments. Email us. That's fine, too. Many yep. of you... Uh, harangue me with and i i love it 
but many people uh, just yeah. write directly to me. Facebook Messenger has also proven fortuitous that way. And if you haven't already, check out our other podcasts, Revolting, which lives up to its name in some ways, but continues to be very entertaining. Uh, and uh, our other show, The Long Way Home, uh, I'm in production on another episode right now. Uh, I'll talk about it soon. Um, it features work writ ah, it features written work read by the author. Uh, maybe consider leaving a review wherever it is you found us. It makes it more likely other people will listen in. Construct constructive criticism always accepted. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to the Paceline. <laughs>